0: I want to thank our friends at the Canadian Bible Society who make this episode possible. We want to highlight a resource they developed called The Bible Course, a course that was created to help the average person engage with God's Word in a deeper way. The Bible Course includes eight weeks of video teaching that are all designed to connect the events, books, and characters of Scripture together into one big story. This course can easily be run in small groups and even as a great follow-up to something like Alpha if you're running that. To check out the first video for free and to learn more about the course, just head to BibleSociety.ca slash The Bible Course and you'll find all you need. That's BibleSociety.ca slash The Bible Course.
1: Prayer is not something that we do before or after. The whole prayer is uh, a pastoral activity living in the relationship with the Lord, um, is itself pastoral.
2: Hello, friends. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode on the Canadian Church Leaders podcast. For this conversation, we were graced with the opportunity to interview Archbishop Michael Miller. If you don't know the Archbishop, he is the Chief Shepherd of over 70 parishes in the Vancouver Diocese, overseeing 400,000 baptized Catholics in the region. He's been a significant part of the city's religious landscape since 2007, when Pope Benedict XVI named him for this role. With a rich background in ministry and academia, Archbishop Miller, originally from Ottawa, has engaged in theological studies and teaching across various places, including Rome, the United States, and Mexico. In addition to this work, the Archbishop has also served on the boards of schools, universities, and healthcare institutions in order to effect good change at a systemic level. He received his Licentia and Doctorate in Theology at the Pontifical Gregorian University in Rome and has been the recipient of seven honorary doctorates thus far in his lifetime. And since his arrival in Vancouver, Archbishop Miller has established vital new offices at the John Paul II Pastoral Center for ministry to Hispanic, Filipino, and Indigenous people groups, along with new offices for ecumenism and interfaith relations. The Archbishop shoulders a significant spiritual responsibility and role here in Vancouver, and we were so grateful to be able to dive deeper into his story and to hear his personal insights on leading in today's church before we jump in with him and Jason, here is a word from our friends at Generis, who want to help you build a thriving culture of generosity in your church.
0: We want to take a quick moment to thank Generis for partnering with us to make today's episode possible. Generis exists to help church leaders like yourself weave a culture of generosity into the fabric of your church. Now, we know any conversation about fundraising can feel awkward, or tricky, but they don't have to. Generosity is essential to the mission of God in our churches. And Generis is all about coming alongside pastors to help foster healthy cultures of generosity so our churches can step into the mission God has for us. And here's how they do it. They take the time to understand the unique culture and story of your church. Then they take biblical principles and other proven strategies to build a tailored plan designed for your community. If you want to find out more, we want to introduce you to John Wright from their team. He was a pastor for many years, and now he's giving his time working with Generis and local churches. You can find John's email in the show notes of this episode.
3: Archbishop Miller, it's a delight to have you here today. Thanks for making time. Driving across Vancouver, we share a city, but it's our first time together, so it's it nice is. to be with you. It Thanks is. It's for making great to time, be here,
1: Jason. Thanks for the invitation.
3: Uh, I would love to hear about the Archdiocese of Vancouver. It's a big piece of the puzzle. And I know you have a team that's caring for a number of parishes, over 400,000 parishioners. Tell us a bit about that and then your
1: work. Yeah, okay. Yeah, there are 400,000 baptized Catholics, to call them parishioners is maybe a stretch too far. Okay, okay. But we have 77 different parishes uh, from very small, uh, you know, where I think there may be 150 people on a Sunday. Yeah. There aren't too many of those, but there are some, to the largest one, which... Clocks in at about five thousand on wow. a Sunday, and a couple at four, and three, and two. The average is about eleven 1, hundred people. Wow! Uh, in, in a in a parish, uh, we have fifty two schools, and they're integral to the uh, to our kind of makeup of what we do. Yeah. And We're right across, of course, from Providence Healthcare, which is uh, Catholic, provides Catholic healthcare in numerous facilities, including mm. the acute hospital right across from us at St. Paul's. That's right. And Mount St. Joseph, Brock Farney uh, and others.
3: One of the reasons why I've been so looking forward to this time with you is to express the deep gratitude for the profound work of mercy, justice, and discipleship mm-hmm. that's represented in your, in the diocese and uh, and the leadership you bring to it. So thank you so much. Oh, you're
1: very welcome. It's nice to be recognized, I guess, but I hadn't thought we often talk about certainly justice. Mercy and justice, though, is a nice way of, of mm. putting certain apostolic works that are yeah. active. We have There are a lot of Catholics who are very engaged in different, mm-hmm. we call them apostolates or, or ministries, um, from, the, from the downtown east side to out in Surrey, pretty much everywhere, there's, yeah. there are people doing good things.
3: Uh, it's, it's It's amazing work. How do you carry the weight of 77 parishes, not to mention these additional ministries? Because as ministers, we don't just care intellectually or pragmatically, no. that's part of it. There's also spiritual care. Right. I mean, it's obviously a huge question, but how do you process that—the the weightiness of that?
1: Yeah, don't forget that there are lots of people, you know, closer yes. to the ground than I am. You know, we have nearly two hundred priests in the archdiocese, but about a hundred and twenty or so are really active, and they're the ones that are—they car- carry the yeah. heat of the day in their in their local uh, community. Yeah,
3: in the trenches, as it were.
1: Yes, indeed, they're the ones that are kind of hands-on. They're the ones that have to uh, direct the parish life and so on. And my role is in many ways to support the priests in their particular work and the, the, the lay faithful that, that work uh, around them. We also have a central office. We call it the uh, John Paul II Pastoral Center, uh, which is located, you know, at 33rd and Heather. There are about 80 people employed uh, at the pastoral center. They help. Wow organized you know the various ministries everything from um people who help with catechesis of very young children to um marriage preparation annulments uh, works of mercy works of justice prison ministry all of the various things that indigenous relations uh, healthcare health
3: care yeah th- they're all there it's a big team
1: it's a big team and it's a i must say it's a it's really a wonderful team. I'm mm. very edified by the uh the men and women that i that I'm able to work with it's mm. It's inspiring actually
3: I wonder if we could rewind a little bit. I'd love uh-huh. to hear about your journey um saying yes to the call to ministry yeah. Do I understand right that you served as a high school teacher?
1: I was a high school teacher at a time. Yeah, I'm a I'm a Basilian father, which is a, a a religious community. People are more familiar with Jesuits and so on, but the Basilians were founded in France and came to Toronto in the middle of the 19th century and founded uh, St. Michael's College. Uh, is is a well known college in, in Eastern Canada, and founded high schools then around the Great Lakes and so on. So I went to one of the schools okay. that they founded. Uh, as a high school, it was typical of a wonderful time of in education. The school was shaped like an L. The girls were taught by nuns in one section, and then the boys were taught by priests in the in wow. the other section. It's a different time. It was, and we shared the chapel and the gym. So,
3: so everyone looked forward to chapel. Exactly.
1: Uh, but uh, so I, I I knew these priests, and I was one, both wanted to be a teacher. I wanted to be a teacher and a priest. They mm. kind of went together and were probably not very distinguished you know uh, yeah. as a young man but i must say it was my entry was rather gradual hmm. i didn't have a great conversion experience this was the 1960s when there was a lot of catholic young men entered the seminary most okay. didn't stay yeah but it wasn't nearly the kind of examination and so on that that we put young men through these days yeah um, you would get from some of our high schools, you'd get eight guys maybe come in, you know, two mm. might stay. So it wasn't as, it wasn't traumatic. And I just um, kind of realized through the time through, you know, discernment, but just quiet that this was what the Lord wanted me wow. to do. And I did want to be in education.
3: Yeah. One of the thing that we seem to talk about a lot, and I know a passion for our ministry, mm-hmm is how do we form, uh, prepare young ministers for life in ministry, whether it's into pastoral ministry or otherwise? And so, again, a huge question, but education means such a passion for you. What are some reflections you have when it comes to educating and preparing young priests for for the work ahead?
1: Yeah, I mean, you you know, the Catholic Church has a pretty clear – Program The path's laid out. It has a path. It has a path laid out, you know, room for adaptations, but, uh, currently it begins, say you're a college graduate, then you, there is your first year is a year of spiritual preparation, Hmm. uh, which means you go on a media fast, Hmm. usually you don't take academic courses, you have to do sort of read through the Bible, read through Basic Catholic doctrine wow. for a year, and you're, it's a part. It's yeah. not. It's uh, you do that. Our men now go to Edmonton, where there's a program. That's a year. Mm. After the year, if you've already have a college degree, you need two years of philosophy, mm. uh, to which is you know gearing to the mind, uh, the conversion of mind, and it's in a community setting, in a seminary setting, with we. Uh, and then we we talk about the four pillars of education, of uh, formation that there's a human component which to which we now pay more attention hmm. you know growing in maturity affective maturity all kinds of things yeah. that are because we we find and have found that there's more need there's there's more wounds often from men beginning their, their studies yeah. that need to be attended to. But it's not unusual that, that a guy will see a counselor and so yeah. on during this period. There's those two years. Then there's f- four years after that of theology, mm. when you're immersed in scripture, teachings of the church, all of the, the whole areas, uh, including pastoral formation, mm. pastoral counseling, preaching, homiletics. And, so some of the toolkit
3: so for life in the parish but is also there?
1: Yeah, there is. We found it. Um, and then you do you're ordained a deacon and you spend six months or a year, you know, in a parish under the under a mentor. Um, we might. There was a lot of emphasis: on human formation, theological formation, spiritual form, spiritual formation, and pastoral. Probably pastoral is the one that needs hmm. a little more uh, uh, attention. Yeah, the toolkit idea. Yeah, that like, yeah that people don't have that, and it's more necessary to have certain skills now. Yeah that it used to be
3: in your time leading um, there's different challenges that um, obviously were at play before I think about indigenous relations yeah. I think about residential schools I think about clergy abuse and I know that's been part of your leadership has been addressing it courageously compassionately. Can you just reflect a little bit about whether it's specifically about those issues or more broadly um, leading, um, with such precarious, tender yeah. issues.
1: Yeah, those, I mean, we can start with the Indigenous relations. When, to be honest, I grew up in Eastern Canada and Ottawa, and sort of Indigenous relations was a, was a non-factor, didn't really think about it, it wasn't discussed, it wasn't negative, it just was not, was not there. I don't think I knew that there was such a thing as a residential school growing Mm. up. I'm sure I didn't know. And uh, coming to British Columbia, of course, there's a very different um, relationship between um, indigenous peoples and non-indigenous. And residential schools played a big part in in the history. And so that was a learning experience Mm. for me, to be honest. I didn't know much about it and, and it, and the problematic nature of them certainly became uh, very clear mm-hmm. and uh, something that we had to come to grips with as a church be- uh, for our role in managing the government schools. Uh, the Truth and Reconciliation Commission was that was held here, you know, remember, at the, uh, at the uh, Coliseum uh, was very eye-opening when mm-hmm. we had to... Um, Present all the material that we had and, and, and read. And it was, um, yeah, it was in, instructive and uh, kind of hurtful in many ways. I was unaware, really, of, of the suffering of, mm. of those who were in, in residential schools. Uh, and that became evident yeah. through direct and personal testimonies and so on uh, of people. And since then, we've, you know, we have someone at, at our pastoral center who kind of is leading us through. Has been very helpful. Matter of fact, today the uh, one of the former chiefs, uh, Manny Jules, was uh, at the pastoral center. He's from Camp, Kamloops, um, and, you know, trying to work things. We have a significant fund put aside to sponsor projects. Mm-hmm. Um, that are indigenous-led and so on. Um, it's that's been that's been uh, something new that I didn't know much about. This was new to me, and hmm. rather um, at first blush, quite disheartening. Yeah. Um, but I think there's now there's. Uh, I think there's we're at a place where we can talk about uh, truth uh, and reconciliation together. Mm. um that we need we need we need truth in order to be yeah. to begin to be honestly recon, reconciled and not just uh, phony reconciliation mm. or pretend reconciliation but it's be a long road to hope
3: yeah
1: um but I think there has been some progress um, one of the challenges in the Catholic communities is it's so diverse with so many people from other cultures for whom Canadian history is unknown. Hmm. And they come often from their own situations of persecution and difficulty. Right. That it's it's just not something they immediately relate to. Hmm. If you're from a family that's been in Canada a couple of generations and there's at least some acknowledgement of the past and and but if you're new, that's harder to mm-hmm. to bring with you. And so that's that that's that's hmm. a challenge. And it's not rejected. It's just that it it's not known. Yeah. And to make that known.
3: What kind of advice, counsel, encouragement would you give a pastor? Like I'm gonna. The hypothetical is you inherit a situation that's yes. devastating. It's tragic. Yeah. And there's this temptation in our human heart. Can I skirt the issue? Yeah. Can I look away? And now it's like, no, I'm going to do the Christ-like way, which yeah. is to move towards the pain. You have
1: to. I think we to encourage people to. Uh, with the strength and power of the Holy Spirit to confront and, and grapple with the with the real insti- with the real issues at hand mm-hmm. that burying our head in the sand is not really, you know, as you mentioned, Jason, that's not a Christ-like response. Um, and defensiveness is not really appropriate either mm-hmm. and that's something that we have to overcome because often the first reaction was, well they so much good was done yeah. in residential schools. And that is, that's just not where the argument or where the hurt is about oh. that. So it's better to leave, to help people leave that aside mm. in their uh, contacts and so on and what they're thinking we're not, that's that's not helpful at this juncture mm. to do. Um, but, but for s- some of our men, it was kind of, I think like me, if if they weren't immediately from Vancouver, kind of an eye opener, mm. and you know, cause personal hurt, yeah, <laughs> because one sees oneself as part of a body of Christ that you can't just say I'll I'll opt out yeah. uh, for this, but I'll be in for the rest. I mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't think it works that way.
3: I think about that a lot. You know, like, what does it mean for me? To not deny that I'm part of a broad story, yeah. And um, in the story of Christianity, you know, obviously we can talk about lots of positive, right? But there's these, there's this, there's, there's, also there's a so a much sin. pain, so much sin, so much brokenness, and so much done in the name of Christianity. That some, and I, and I think that when you think about a generation that wants to walk away from Christianity but maybe keep Jesus, yes. that's probably the impetus is to say this doesn't represent. The faith that I know, and I think sometimes I find my heart a bit weary, you know,
1: yeah, um I, and I know there is a temptation for people to imagine that they can pluck jesus out of out of out of his body. and I don't think that that's possible. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's he's head of the body and is you know, he's 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 the groom to the bride, and there's the one flesh, and I think attempts to do otherwise are. Uh, mistaken, not just theologically, but frankly even, even historically, yeah. and, and to make sense, there's that, that, that's there's not an influx of Jesus that hasn't been handed on mm. through the the community of believers. I mean, I,
3: when you're leading through situations that, no matter what decision you make, you make a public statement or you choose to participate, mm. and yep, it. it's like you're gonna have. Some people are like right on Archbishop Miller, and then and others, others that are, are like,
1: "How can you betray?"
3: Yes, and then and then a whole range in between. How, like that, is a crisis of our own leadership. How how have you found the will to lead during those circumstances, as opposed to say, ah, I kind of don't. I I'd rather someone else lead right now.
1: Uh, I think those that reaction it comes. I guess it just can't be kind of given. Can't be given mm-hmm. into. I think mm-hmm. ultimately it's by. If one is sh- kind of sure of the position that it's been taken not for reasons of pride or but done humbly, uh, then then there's a certain kind of strength in mm. that. It still hurts when 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 you're attacked, um, sometimes one knows that it's justified. other times one has to admit, no, it's it, it's not justified, and my sensitivity to it is, not justified and mm. i have to kind of in my examination of conscience kind of uh, confront that mm. um, uh, nobody likes criticism that is that is unfair ultimately i think it's only if we pray mm. uh, uh, that the way the road we've taken is the best we could do mm. and Let's face it, most of our decisions, there's people for and against. I mean, if they're serious decisions, if they're just, you know, whether we're gonna have uh, chicken or beef at the dinner is nobody much cares about that. But if they're, if they're ones that have ramifications, how do we, um, for example, we put a, a fair bit of financial resources in um, of two and a half million for First Nations, Funding for certain projects, some people might say that should be that should go to something else yeah it should go to a catechesis of our children or it should go to help out x or y etc but you do just I mean at the end of the day I say we're, we're doing this, and these are the reasons yeah and, and sometimes i I think really can't convince everyone mm. kind of give up on trying to bring everyone on board to every decision mm. Um there's um it's just like if you're gonna make a pastoral change, you know, the, the little chart, you really you you work with those who are first who are first in, and there are going to be some who are late adapters or never and don't spend all your time work trying to get everybody mm. into the initiative, everybody into the endeavor, mm. you know, um, because there's there's always that that percentage that they're just not there. So mm-hmm. It's just one of those facts that we kind of learn to live with.
3: Yeah. <laughs> Even Hopefully I we I wish learned. it were different. Yeah. You know? I mean, maybe it's just me, but I find myself being like, but what if I could make everyone happy? Yes. Well, I, th-
1: <laughs> I think the natural tendency of, of people who are in ministry is to want to make everyone happy. Yeah. And the ability just, in a sense, to let them go. You're not deliberately making them unhappy or anything, but you, you let them go is harder for us than I think that it is for a a tough-minded businessman who'll just say, you know, that they're not producing the, cut them off. That's hard for a person who's pastoral, but I think in a a kindly way, a non-confrontational way, that we should give up probably in trying to make every, bring everybody along at the same time Mm. to what we think is the the right, particularly right course of action.
3: Um, One of the initiatives of the Archdiocese of Vancouver is Proclaim. Uh-huh. And I'd love to hear about that because it's, um, through Alpha, I've been able to kind of see it it over the years, but I know this is really a big part of the work you're doing and the whole Archdiocese. So I'd love to hear about that.
1: Yeah, I mean, Proclaim was started um, to be a sort of out front, direct movement for evangelization, particularly to equip people, those who are kind of... Uh, Already seriously engaged, mm. we now use the words. I'm not sure where they use it. We talk about intentional disciples, yeah, um, uh, and to help them in their uh, in their particular kind of missionary work in mm. their in their uh, evangelize evangelization efforts to go out and proclaim. And it does various things, of course, during the year. But every year we have a, a big conference, except during COVID when it was sort of online called the upper room
3: aren't you glad we're not doing those i online am very anymore? glad
1: that we are not doing those <laughs> i think yeah
3: how many all, how many videos did you have to film during covid we did thought, lots do we of have video. to do another we, we of- did lots
1: of videos <laughs> the only thing i'll say is that we also learned that there some adult faith formation could take place yeah during that but it's not i mean certainly worship is a is a mess in in, in covid it doesn't work but the upper room gathers people. I mean, this. I think I just talked to Brett Powell today, and there'll be about seven, seven or eight hundred folks mm. at, at Chandos, you know, um, off One Sixtieth, in a in a in a, in a great, great gathering. There's a couple main speakers and so on, Then there's lots of breakout, and it's really to help people everything for how do you have how do you hold conversations with somebody? What do you do with people who's kind of whose kind of marriage life is 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 all mixed up how are we passing on the faith to our teenagers there's all all kinds of different mm. um experts how do we run an alpha program um you know very practical things that mm. uh, proclaim is is engaged in proclaim is equipping the saints to do their carry out their ministry
3: i love it yeah. i love i love the vision of um, helping individuals know that it's not just the priests yeah, oh, or the I, pastors who are invited into the mission. In fact, it's yeah, it's you know, it's it's everyone gets to play.
1: Yeah, so, no, I think that's. I guess I'm starting to take that for granted. But that that would be a big change in the last generation. Say, the emphasis that everyone just because of your baptism, you are missioned. Hmm. You know, that that part of our identity is exactly no it it comes with being reborn in Christ Mm. is is to proclaim the good news that it's not you can't um, sort of offload it onto someone else uh, Mm. to do it for you. Mm. Uh, Unfortunately, you know, maybe in the Catholic tradition, there was a little bit of the notion that, well, there were priests and religious who kind of took care of this and I didn't have to really do this and I wasn't kind of called to this and so uh, The push was not felt. In recent years, I think that, and that's one something that Proclaim is Mm. trying to uh, inculcate. Yeah. You, you have to share the good news. If you are a disciple, um, then you're also a missionary. Pope Francis has coined the term that now we use a lot, missionary disciples. Mm. You're disciples, friends of Jesus, and you're a missionary, therefore you're a missionary disciple. It's Mm. kind of newish lingo that Creeps in, you know, lingo changes.
3: The lingo changes. Mm-hmm. Sometimes the heart's the same. Mm-hmm. I love that, though. I think it's, a, I yeah, think it's an important it puts an invitation. Emphasis. It
1: yeah. puts an emphasis on on different things. And mm. and um, I think that's a wonderful way in which everybody wants to uh, to share the good news. And there's now there's more attention pay, paid to how do you do it. We yeah. might have been a little moralistic in the past mm. that we would you'd kind of insist that everything in the person's moral life be in order. Yeah. And then they could kind of move along, you know, into a community and so on. Now there's a bit of a switch. Yeah. People are often invited into a community, into faith and see it. And then as they come to know Jesus, then they'll see that that their moral life has to Mm. correspond to that if there's integrity.
3: I, I heard it framed one time as like, it used to be like behave, yeah. believe, belong, or something like yes. that. And it's really an invitation to belong, belong first. amongst a people. And then what can follow is a change, maybe in belief, faith in God, that then from inside out yeah. leads to behavior. Yeah. One term, I love, we did this a bit before. Um, I love swapping terms with my Catholic friends mm-hmm. because we often are talking about very similar things, but we've all got our jargon for it, we whether have it's, jargon, you know. Lots you know, of jargon. Jar- and you know, that's part of what we do as pastors is we come up with new terms, we right. swap terms. But one term that I think is beautiful that I don't hear in the Protestant expression as much as the Catholic expression. I don't know if this is new, is the term accompaniment.
1: Yes, that we that's a little new uh for us that can uh, you define the term? I think there's some there's well, some real uh, beauty in it. Yeah, accompaniments, I think it the slang version of that is you take a person where they are and kind of lead them where to where you're they should go. It's if, like the, if they are uh, coming missed. alongside. Coming alongside, yes. You you have your hand at their back and mm. and are and are, are pulling along with them. Yeah, that's now. It's it's a way of trying to say not to insist up front that a person be here when when they're still there, and, and what you do is you bring the person along mm. with you, and it's has to be personal accompaniment is is personal. You can't. Maybe you could accompany a group, but uh, it really is a personal thing. Yeah. And that, that's that's newish vocabulary, frankly, mm. for for Catholics. I think we we yeah. did it before. We talked about we have a long tradition, of course, of spiritual direction and so mm-hmm. on, in which the director would be accompanying his directee, but that was always rather limited in terms of the of the number of people who would be mm. receiving spiritual direction.
3: The the implication within it of like a relational it's very relational nature it it's it does it's like it doesn't guarantee an outcome but it's like I'm coming alongside and I think about that when it comes to evangelization discipleship even the pastoral work in a lot of ways that's what we do yeah. you know it's like okay you know of course we have in our heart a desire that they would be formed in the image of Christ or more mature in their faith but ultimately that out like only the Lord can
1: do that yeah, work it's, but it's, we come alongside grace. right yeah I think it's uh We used to, for example, it was very common when people were, for example, uh, wanting, as we say, to become Catholics or to, you know, to convert, there would be courses and classes. And so that would be it, and a person would kind of go through that, and you would, you know, there'd be a a little exchange, but it would be kind of more completing, completing work, so to speak. Yeah. Showing up every, you know, Thursday night for, Ten months or something now it's much more that we you accompany you mm. accompany persons where they are and you learn more about their story and your uh, people are with them and so now all of that work is not done where it used to be done by the priest in the parish now there's there are teams and so on so that's mm. that's a, a change that's mm. taken place in a generation Wow you know um, much more. One of the things that I think distinguishes Catholics from evangelicals is that evangelicals—you've always had far more ability because of the number of people in ministry, and your congregations are smaller, often, mm-hmm. except in the mega churches—that uh, you could you just did that automatically. Yeah. And ours was—it it used to be a little priest-focused, mm. which meant that that wouldn't be possible, be simply because of the of, of, of numbers. Mm. And now that there are. We speak much more broadly about ministry in the Catholic Church. some of the, the things that we've we, 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 we've we've learned from evangelicals and other Christians is the notion of, of accompaniment. I think we've mm. picked it up mm. from you um
3: I'm so grateful for your time today and it's a real joy for me to have this conversation maybe um, as a last movement of our conversation um after decades of serving faithfully in ministry there is a sense of being able to probably look back and reflect Mm -hmm. and i just wonder what reflections you have that as you kind of reflect on um, how god led your journey right and how your probably sense of like even sense of your vocation evolves and changes and maybe i'll frame it like this like what what might you desire people in the earlier stage of their ministry journey to know that maybe you wish you had known earlier on?
1: I think that I would wish that I had, ex- it's not that I didn't know it. I think that I would, and uh, I knew it, encourage them to take more time for personal prayer, hmm. for silent uh, personal prayer daily to, to make sure that, uh, aside from sort of the formal prayers to which we are, Committed by what we call the liturgy, the hours, or the breviary at, at mass, um, that there should be, you know, half hour, forty five minutes, of other prayer, which in a busy life mm-hmm. it was hard to find, and I often didn't find it as much as I have come to appreciate it in recent years, mm-hmm. and um, and not just appreciate it, do it. <laughs> yeah. Find, find 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 the discipline and I think when I was younger I was more taken up by all of the things that I had to do hmm. and was uh, given to a kind of activism that I did I did things uh, and many things I'm I, I think that they were you know uh, good things but I didn't I don't think that I spent enough Time on just on pure reflection and on mm. being with the Lord. Uh, I do. I, I think that that's something that I would I- encourage, and because it's so difficult to find the time, because um, people in ministry are so busy and so engaged, uh, that they need to be someone to be accountable to mm. to do that. Uh, it's not. It's not relaxing. It's it's um, um, for me and and for many Catholics. It's it's sitting in a in a church or a, or a chapel, but it could be anywhere. But that, um, I think that's something that is necessary, and I would recommend mm-hmm. to uh, to young people that that's what's going to kind of keep keep the heart alive and, mm-hmm. and, and so on and ensure that what we do is done um, you know sort of um, aware of where we are in God's in God's plan and, and not not to pretend there's I don't know whether you've there's um, there's a, there was a priest who became a Franciscan friar. His name is Benedict Grochelle. Hmm. He was founded a, a group he was been an ordinary Benedict um, an ordinary Franciscan rather. Became a more radical one, working in the uh, in the Bowery and so on in in um, New York City, and you know he's sort of guy's sandals, you know, grubby habit and so on. Um, he was also a psychologist uh, by by training, and something that he once said he said, I, "What I really don't want to be is I don't want to be a phony." Mm. And I think one of the ways we protect ourselves against that is by um, taking that time in prayer, yeah. um, and then you begin to notice it. Benedict XVI once said, "You know that prayer is not something that we do before or after; um, that um, the whole prayer is." Uh, a pastoral activity Mm. that uh, being you know cultivating not cultivating that makes it sound as if it's our word but being living in the relationship with the lord um is itself pastoral don't think that you're taking away from something that you could be doing yeah that um that's um, so i wish i had acted on that when i was younger I always knew it sort of in my head. That's never the problem. We know so many things. Mm. It's actually delivering mm. the real goods. That's mm. harder
3: Well, I so appreciate your time today and for the chance to have this conversation. Good.
1: Well, I've enjoyed it, Jason. Well, I'm glad. And you... You were very kind in your in, <laughs> in, 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 in your questions. You didn't you didn't put me on the hot seat too Yeah, much. no,
3: there's no hot seat here. <clears throat> um, I'm gonna ask you a bonus question. This okay, might not go sure. on. Okay. Um, so I'm I'm on my own journey okay. of inc- and probably many people listening. I don't know if this will make out on the podcast or not, but of growing in um, silent solitude, yeah. spiritual practices that anchor me deeper in the love of God. And, right. And. and inevitably that road leads me to to catholic voices mm-hmm. um, i think about ronald Ruhlheiser. right henry nauen henry nauen is and, very and that's like the popular like those are the right. gateway drugs so i want to know if that's such a bad way to put it gateway drugs but so they're like the gateway Yes, no, they're, so
1: they're, they're great great classics i want to
3: know the recommendations from you that like a protestant that's dabbling would like where who would you recommend in the spiritual formation world that i might not typically know about
1: Oh... You read Saint Francis to sales? No. Okay. Introduction to the Devout Life. Okay. That's that's a classic. The other one that now uh, I don't. Do you know the 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 Ascension? It's one of these things. It's like you know, Hallow the yeah the, yeah apple. that's right yeah Ascension yeah Ascensionist kind. Um, there's the guy uh, Jim Caviezel, you know the guy who did yeah Christ yeah Jesus. he's there's I just saw something came up today he's going to be reading from the Imitation of Christ. The Imitation of Christ is a 14th century, maybe 13th, but I think it's a 14th century from the <clears throat> devo- Devotio Moderna, sort of the, the in the Netherlands. Um, it's written by um, Thomas the Kempis, at least a tribute to him. It was the great spiritual classic among Catholics for about 500 years. It's a little interior in the sense that it is not about... Uh, apostolic work in the world hmm. as a matter of fact, there are statements in it that people who are more um, kind of activist find upsetting hmm. uh, but it's it's one of the great classics. It's all over the thing called simply the hmm. the Imitation of Christ. Someone else who has a lot of little books uh, that including ones on, on prayer are um, von Balthasar. Hmm. Hanser's von Balthasar. Okay, this is. I'm going to follow the thread. He, 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 he has some, cool. so, so, some, some wonderful things. There's a little book that I, that if it's called by Karl Rahner, who was a great mid-century Catholic theologian German, he wrote something called Encounters with Silence. Hmm.
2: Well, the Archbishop had a deep well of resources that came to mind around spiritual formation from the Catholic world. Take a look at the episode show notes for a complete list of his recommendations. Now, there are a few thank yous we want to express for the making of this episode. Of course, a big thank you to Archbishop Miller for joining us in person and taking the time to invest in pastors who are listening in and beyond Canada. I also want to thank Jason for facilitating the conversation, Nick Corbin for arranging and editing the interview, Alex Burke for capturing it, and to Rachel Sousa and Will Lee for adding your voice and touch to the episode. The Canadian Church Leaders podcast is one amongst a few things that we do at CCLN to strengthen pastors in Canada. These episodes, along with our gatherings, cohorts, and resources, are made possible by a generous community of individuals, pastors, churches, and organizations who believe in coming alongside pastors. If this mission of loving and resourcing pastors is something that you value as well, we want to invite you to join our giving community at ccln.ca slash give, where you can make a one-time or regular donation. And for pastors who have already benefited from our work at CCLN, we want to invite you and your church to partner with us. You can find out more about what that looks like at ccln.ca slash church Thanks for considering becoming a part of this community that's lifting up pastors across our nation. Well, that's it from me for now. Thanks for joining us today. And we're praying that you experience the grace and goodness of God as you lead in the coming weeks. Bye for now.